Welcome to Now Appalachia, hosted by author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. This show profiles the authors and publishers that have connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their works. And now, Appalachia. And hello, friends. We welcome you once again to another episode of Now Appalachia, heard here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network as we continue to profile the outstanding authors and publishers from the Appalachian region. And we look at what they are up to, what they are doing, and how the region influences and impacts their works. I'm your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us today for this episode as we bring back one of our writers that we had with us last year. She is back again with her newest collection. It is called Voice Lessons Essays. And our guest today is Karen Sawyer McElmurray. And we're so glad to have her back here. She is joining us today with this new collection of stories. And she is a accomplished writer of multiple genres. She is the author of uh, Surrendered Child, A Birth Mother's Journey, which was an AWP award winner for creative nonfiction. Her novels include The Motel of the Stars, which was an editor's pick by Oxford American, and Strange Birds in the Tree of Heaven, which was winner of the Chafin Award for Appalachian Writing. Her nonfiction work has been three times notable in Best American Essays. She's also been a Pushcart nominee several times and a recipient of the Annie Dillon Award for the Essay, the New Southerner Award, and the Horizon Award for Creative Nonfiction, the Horizon Anthology Award for Creative Nonfiction. Uh, her most recent book uh, was Wanting Radiance, which we talked with her about a little over a year ago that was released in April 2020 by the University Press of Kentucky. And we're delighted to have her back on the program to talk about her latest essay collection called Voice Lessons. So Karen, welcome back to the show. So good to be with you and so good to have you back with us once again. Hi, Elliot. Thank you so much for having me back. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Always a pleasure to be with you. And I wanted to start off right off the bat with a quote that you wrote in one of your stories. And I'm just going to ask you to sort of unpack this for us because I think it has tentacles that connect to all of the stories in the collection. And it also helps the reader learn a little bit about you and kind of your philosophy and background. And um, I, I love how you phrase this and how it kind of started and ended. So I'm just going to read this quickly and then have you uh, give us some context behind it. You write uh, in the collection, where I'm from, my working class self comes to me often in my teaching life and my life in general. I hear it in my heart when I confront the question, why don't we rip these stories apart more? I'm a nurturer. I want to plant work like little seeds and water the weed carefully and bask in the delight as the stories grow. And then uh -huh. you write, yeah, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because uh, you know, you currently teach in the low residency program at West Virginia Wesleyan College, and you've also been a part-time associate professor uh, at Gettysburg College. Um, and you also wrote in that, in that passage towards the end, talking about your grandfather, talking about his hands were gnarly, thick, and nailed where he'd mined and hoed and fixed engines, and how gently he whittled, looking for the heart, revealing the center. So in, those, in that big passage of, of information there, unpack that for us. Tell us a little bit about why that's in there and what that tells us about your essays, but also a little bit about you and kind of uh, your background and philosophy on teaching and on life and on writing. Well, Elliot, as they say, you kind of went right for the jugular there. <laughs> You've picked the passage. You're, you're absolutely right. It, it is the heart of the book in many ways. In my classes, I often talk about the heartwood of a story or an essay, and the heartwood meaning the deepest heart that one can reach into to find the life for the whole, and you found it. 
I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is that is to talk about myself as working class. I didn't go to college right away. I was, um, you know, 22, I guess. First, I went to community college, Prestonsburg Community College in Floyd County in Kentucky. And I had to want to go awfully, awfully bad to go. Well, I, you know, I, I'll even step back from that. First, I went to night school at Kentucky State University. Then I went to uh, Prestonsburg Community College. And I went, I had to want to go really, really hard. And I needed encouragement. I was shy. Uh, I would sit at the back of the room. I was afraid to open my mouth, that sort of thing. So that was first me in academia. Later on in my experiences that are described in this collection of essays, I was in various graduate programs to do with creative writing often. And uh, later on I taught, and I've been teaching for many years, and I've experienced a number of things. I've sometimes experienced um, a lot of discouragement. I've heard about a lot of discouragement. A friend of mine went to Iowa Writers Workshop, and the first day there, when he was first up for workshopping, he went in the room, sat down, and uh, the professor picked up his manuscript and held it up in front of the room by one corner and sort of shook it a little bit, dangled it, and said, and who does this belong to? There was a great deal of disdain in that mannerism, in that, in that one phrase. That disdain, that lack of encouragement, did not jive with what I grew up with and what my my beginning experiences in education. So you know, later on, you know, over the years, myself as a teacher, I, and I guess I should add one other thing: what I did for for a living, all the years I was in graduate school, I was a landscaper and I worked at greenhouses. Um, I grew things. I was often a transplanter of seedlings at these big sort of factory-like greenhouses. And how you get that stuff to grow is, is watering, is care, is taking care of. That disdain I'm talking about in the classroom wouldn't work with those seedlings. That's just not how I approach learning and teaching. I am a nurturer. And it all comes back to my heritage. It all comes back to to working hard for what you're going to get. And I do see my grandfather's hands. They were, you know, have you seen hands where they're thick nailed, the nails get kind of yellow and the palms are hard, hands that know hard work. And I guess I, my hands know hard work over a lot of time to get my education, to impart that education to others. And uh, it, it doesn't jive with disdain for me. I am a nurturer. That's great. And I, that was my favorite passage from the book. And I just thank think you, Elliot. That's I, amazing. I, oh, well, great. I, yes. I, I, um, I, I just, I, I, when I came across it, I, I highlighted it immediately. And I, I thought, I want to see if this in, it connects to all the other stories. And it certainly did. And, and having spoken with you before, I, I could see uh, so much of you in that passage. So it was really terrific. And, you know, you talked about your grandfather. You know, one of the things I love about this essay collection, too, uh, in addition to him, is your strong connection to ancestors and people in your past. And I'll get to more of that in just a second. But I wanted to ask you about the the women that you write about uh, in your story. And, and I love how you 
um, you kind of honor these women and you write about different types of women, mothers and, and women who are daughters, they occupy that role and people who are aunts and people who are grandmothers. And one of the things that, that I like about that is, um, you, you know, th- 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 these women are, are strong, they're, they're smart, they're, they're poignant, um, but they always kind of remind um really the the reader and what's going on in the individual essays themselves that that where you're from and how you've been raised and who you are currently is not something to be ashamed of it's not something to uh you know be be afraid of or embarrassed about because because you maybe lived a hard scrabble life or or from Appalachia or anything like that can can you talk about the presence of these of these women these strong women and how you kind of honor them in the essays by really empowering them with the strength and the knowledge for us to really uh, understand what it is that they're trying to convey, but kind of really root for them at the same time as, as we read forward. Well, I come from, as you say, uh, a strong lineage, family lineage in these women. I mean, I dream them many times every night, almost. My grandmother, my great, my grandmother, uh, Fanny Ellen, Pearly Lee, my great grandmother, Beck. Those are the ones I, I, I dream the most. I, I, my dreams um, are about the houses they owned, my visits to those houses. I inhabit those houses in my dreams. And of course, houses are psyche. They're what made us. Those women are such a mix of things. They're a, a contradiction for me in many ways. As you say, they're incredibly strong women. Uh, my grandmother on my mother's side, Pearlie Lee, Baisden was her name. I can see her so clearly hoeing this enormous garden. I mean, she did everything. She washed. We had she had a ringer washer, and my grandfather worked in the mines, and she's washing these clothes by hand in this ringer washer. They didn't have any electricity. They didn't have a bathroom. She was strong to get all this done. At the same time, I grew up with many women, including that grandmother, who were often very silent who often, and there was a lot of pain there. There was a lot of uh, a history of traumas that I will never entirely know about. For a long time, I thought that these women were damaged in many ways, and that I myself was damaged in the inheritance of their histories. But I have come to see that that inheritance of trauma is itself an amazing strength to do all that they did with their lives and to hurt inside, and still they go forth, you know, they endure. So that's, that's what I would say about them. Um, just in my bedroom, I have all their pictures. There, it's like my <laughs> altar in my room. Just as a quick aside, uh, before we get into some of your story specifically, if your grandmother was still alive today, what is something you would like to tell her or something you'd like to have her tell you? Well, I guess the grandmother I'd pick, she was the one I was the closest to always, was Fanny Ellen. She was my father's mother. She took me in again and again and again when I didn't know who I was or where I was going. Um, I remember once having a good deal of what I owned in the back seat of my 1967 Dodge. And she took me in and and she gave me a room and she gave me food. She took me in and I was not easy. I was a hard troubled young woman. I guess I'd want to say to her in ways, and I'm sure I did say it, but I'd say, want to say it in a, in a way 
that is comes from deep understanding that how much I love her and how much I am sorry for my sometimes despair and difficulty and thank her with all my heart for being there for me. Fantastic. Fantastic. You mentioned your 1967 vehicle and that leads me to one of the stories in the collection that was one of my favorites and that was Driven, which you talk about this 1967 Dodge Dart that you owned for years and years and years. And it took you all over the place as you kind of moved around, as your life changed, as you grew and did different things and new experiences (laughs) in different places. But we also learned that uh, you know, you basically kind of drove that thing into the ground and drove it till it just couldn't be ran anymore. Oh, I did. I just have to insert my favorite story of it. I drove it across the country from Kentucky to Arizona and the engine block was cracked and I fixed it with stove cement. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Yes. I remember that. That was, yes, it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you also owned a 1969 Volkswagen Beetle, a 1999 Honda Civic, a 2005 Toyota Matrix. And the reason I mention all of that is because um, you, you had something in one of the passages, a, a line I just want to read from, from that story that, um, uh, again, I think talks about this, this idea of, of Appalachians wanting to, to stay home and stay close to family, but also feeling pulled to sort of go away and move away and try new things. And, and uh, you, you talk about driving um, the Dodge Dart, driving it with rusted out holes in the trunk and a coat hanger to wire the uh, hood shut. But, but I think this is true about all of your cars, and it's kind of a, a metaphor on, on your view of this, of, of this staying home versus leaving as an Appalachian. It, you let it take me upwards and over, backwards and forward, never satisfied with where it took me or who I was or why. <laughs> You're right. I mean... As much as I love where I'm from, and right now I long for where I'm from. You know, I live in Catonsville, Maryland. I'd give anything to live back in Kentucky. As much as I longed for it and much as I loved it, I wanted out of there as bad as I, just as bad as I could, I wanted out of there. And so, you know, I was always driving. There was this driving force inside me and in the vehicle. I mean, it, I, I drove a 1967 rusted out Dodge when I went to the University of Virginia. And, you know, it was like, really? People, you know, I was just like, did I really, did I do that? You know, <laughs> is that what you mean? I mean, I, 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 it, I wanted where I was so bad, but there was always like this other thing I had to get, this other thing I had to get. There's always been this other thing I had to get. And the car is the absolute total metaphor for that. Yeah, I, and I, I feel like that uh, as an Appalachian myself, I know you are too, we, we always have this tension. Uh, the, there is this innate sort of go west young man kind of desire in all of us to, to go out and, and to experience new things. And I can remember growing up as a kid, you know, I had family that lived in, in big cities, Nashville, St. Louis, and, you know, Cleveland, and you'd go visit these places, and you think, wow, this is what living outside of Appalachia is like, and, you know, they have cheesecake factories, and they have big shopping malls, and they have this, <laughs> and sports teams, and all of that, um, and you can't wait to go, but then when you get out there sometimes as an adult, you realize, well, maybe some of that small-town Appalachian life that, as you said, that I was so trying to get away from, maybe it wasn't so bad after all. 
I mean, I would be in the creative writing workshops at University of Virginia, and I would turn, and I'd turn in these short stories, and I remember one of them had <clears throat> my grandfather, who I called Pa, in it, and he'd always sit outside the barber shop. He loved hanging out the barber shop, and he what he would do is like trade knives and guns, and I so I say that in one of the stories, and the people in the workshop are like. <gasps> he's trading knives and guns. Oh my God! <laughs> it's like you know, I would come from the mafia or something. <laughs> so you know, it's like it, where I was from was the richness of my of my work, and also the perplexity of it. You know, <laughs> so that dodge. That, that's just an ordinary <laughs> Saturday afternoon in Appalachia, kind of what you're describing. <laughs> trading you knives and guns. That never occurred <laughs> to me that that was an odd thing to do. It was, you know. Yeah, it's what you did. Absolutely. We're speaking with Karen Sawyer McElmurray here on Now Appalachia. Her new book is out. It's a collection of essays. It is called Voice Lessons. And we'll get back and talk about uh, a couple other stories in her collection more specifically in just a second. But Karen, I wanted to ask you, you've had such an accomplished career as a uh, writer of nonfiction. You've now written this collection uh, of essays, which has a, a very memoirish kind of uh, bend to them. Uh, you've written novels as well. Do you have, as you look back and as you think about what you're working on in the future, do you have a favorite genre? Is there is there one that you you kind of gravitate towards when you're starting a new project? Or you're thinking about a new project. Do you rotate around in terms of writing novels versus nonfiction versus essays? Did you have a favorite? And how does all that come about in terms of which one are you going to work on next? The thing that is closest to my heart is uh, the nonfiction, is um, personal essays, memoir lyric essays is writing uh, the nonfiction, but the nonfiction is sort of speculative in its own right. It's sort of imagining what could be as well as what is. But that's where I, my heart lies, and that, I say that right now. I know that I am writing essays actively, um, not at, literally as we speak, but I'm writing essays at this time in my life. I'm writing, I've written two or three now about the faith that I grew up with. Very good. Excellent. So what are you reading right now? And who are some nonfiction writers that you think we all should be reading? Doesn't necessarily have to be an Appalachian nonfiction writer, but what are you reading now? And, and who's a nonfiction? If we were to go to a bookstore and look for some nonfiction, who do, whose nonfiction do we need to pick up right now and read? Well, what I'm reading right now, it's an, uh, it's, an uh, it's an interesting collection of things. I have three things on my desk that I'm reading. One I'm finishing is a novel um, by Karen Russell called Swamplandia. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's, I guess you'd call it Southern Gothic. It's about looking for the underworld and the deep in the heart of, uh, of swamps, the Florida swamps. Have you read that, Elliot? I have not. I've heard of that story. I have a colleague of mine who's from Florida, and he's, he was, he's been talking about this book for a long time, but I haven't read I've it. I've had it forever, and finally I'm just about finished with it. The next thing I'm going to read, I found this in the little library in my neighborhood. I've always wanted to read this. It's uh, Thomas Merton's Seven Story Mountain. And so I'm going to read it because I found it. And then the thing that I'm going to read after that, I've been very excited about, is a collection of short stories by uh, writer Chris McGinley. It's called Coal Black. And if you haven't read, you know, I've, I've just begun that as well. you got to read it. So that's what I'm reading. Um, in terms of books that I would steer you toward, oh my gosh, there's so many in terms of nonfiction. If you're beginning the reading of memoir, 
um, I always go back to the one that was one of the first I ever read when I was reading a memoir. They didn't have creative nonfiction. When I began graduate school, University of Virginia, it, creative nonfiction didn't exist. You chose poetry or, uh, or fiction. But uh, Mary Carr's The Liars Club, I, I adore that book. More recently, um, there's um, Educated. Have you read that? Yes. And I, I, I'm deeply involved in that book, love that book. I guess partly because it's also about uh, being working class and coming from a, a very difficult family and finding your way out and then tr having to find your way back in order to, to settle your heart. So very those are good. two that I would recommend a lot. I'm also uh, reading a lot of uh, lyric essay collections or interestingly shaped works. And one um, is M Train by Patti Smith. And I also just ordered one called Devotional by Randon Billings Noble. And it's this beautiful book, and it's physically beautiful. It opens and looks like a star in its pages if you look at the end. So those are some titles at the moment. Sounds great. Sounds great. Some good books to add to our to-be-read pile as we kind of move through the summer uh, and into early fall. And our guest here on Now Appalachia, Karen Sawyer-McElmurray, her new book is called Voice Lessons, Essays. And we're going to go back and talk about another one of those stories uh, that I think is, is really great. And it was one of my favorites also. And that is Hand Me Down. We were talking about your grandmother earlier. And, um, you know, one of the things I loved about this is it, it <laughs> kind of tells the story of a dress that your grandmother once made. Uh, and now it's 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 a little old. The the the, the stitching's coming loose and, and all of that. Um, but one of the things that that I like about what we've been talking about about the past and the present and, and ancestry, your ancestry figuring in and factoring in so much to what you're writing is that um, one of the things we see kind of emerge from that is that you think about that dress and you're getting ready to go to sort of an academic event or some kind of a scholarly event. I think it was uh, in that story. And, and you're looking back at that dress and thinking about how inappropriate that would be for the current venue and the current atmosphere you're getting ready to inhabit. So tell us a little bit about what's going on in that story. Again, that connection from the importance of the past to kind of the reality of the present. Well, the, at the, the time of that essay is actually, um, I did my PhD work at university of Georgia in American literature and fiction writing. <laughs> and so the time, the narrative time of that essay is the day of my um, doctoral defense. And I can so clearly see myself, you know, get, I lived upstairs in an attic in a house I rented with some friends in Athens, Georgia. And I'm going to my closet and I'm standing there at the closet thinking, what will I wear? What will I wear? You know, we have um, some business suit type things in there, like, you know, little jackets and skirts and stuff and some dresses and this and that. And also in the closet is this dress and it was br this brown dress and it had little tiny ladies with umbrellas on it. And it had zipped up the side. And I found that dress in the upstairs rooms at my granny's house some years ago. And I had had that dress. And I took it here and there and many places I had lived. And I had it in this closet. And the next thing I knew, I'm, I'm picking that dress and putting it on. And it seemed to me, whether this is in retrospect or whether I knew it then, it seemed to me that I was sort of paying homage to the people that made me and to this granny who took me in and took care of me in this 
this day that's you know an auspicious as they say occasion here was uh, the dress that was about where where i came from and not forgetting where i came from very good and one of the things i want to ask you i know we don't have time to talk about all of the stories in the collection that those are two really uh, great stories that i think connect so much to what we've been talking about but there's kind of a tension in, in all of your stories between kind of the, the, the current place that you occupy, and you touched on this a minute ago, with um, kind of your scholarly work and, and, and where you are as a, as a writer and an academician versus kind of um, where you grew up and kind of that gap and how it seems like sometimes that where you are now is so far away from the world that you came from. And I was wondering if you still feel that way to some degree and was writing these essays kind of um, a way to help um, overcome that or bridge the distance in that gap that exists? I think that some of the essays came from a place of, I admit it, it came from some anger about the different, the distance between the academic world and the working class world. I think that I always felt myself hiding <laughs> We were talking earlier, <clears throat> there's a phrase that I always heard when I was growing up, like, who rented her? And I, I always felt like th that word, an imposter in the world of the higher echelons of academia. Like, did I belong there? And I'd look behind my shoulder, somebody's asking me a question, I think, are you asking me, really? <laughs> so there's an anger there. But the more I worked on these essays, and these essays were done over quite a period of time, the more that I worked on them and stitched them together, like making a quilt, they fit together really kind of like a memoir about my working class self and writing, my writing self. The more I began to see them with a kind of um, love and a kind of grace, I think. And I think that putting them together as a quilt and putting that quilt in my lap and folding myself up in that, that quilt of these essays, I began to be comforted. I think that I began to see that it was really important. I never really did lose myself all that time in the academic journey and the scholarly journey. I didn't lose, sometimes I felt like I lost myself and I didn't belong. I guess I did belong. I am myself and I've been there all along. Very good. So what is Karen McElmurray working on next? Al, as I said earlier, <laughs> this past two weeks, I've started working on an essay that I have begun with some kind of odd research. Have you ever heard of Peter Popoff? I have not, no. Peter Popoff, you might have seen on your television screen. He's the one you can buy miracle water from. <laughs> you order the little vial of it or whatever. But I've been researching Peter Popoff as sort of a, the con man of <clears throat> revivalism, evangelism. I don't know where this is going to take me, but I'm thinking a lot about... <clears throat> people in Peter Popoff's audiences and people in my family who had great need for that kind of faith, that kind of comfort that came from somebody trying to sell you faith. And I'm sort of interested in that. And I, I don't know what the essay's entirely about yet, but it, I've, I've begun it. Yeah, you know, I see my aunt standing at the wall in her trailer, and there was a photograph there, and <clears throat> it was a picture of Jesus, and there was a great, there was a light 
that would come on the top of the picture when she took a photograph of the photo of the picture of Jesus and she believed that was a miracle. So <clears throat> that light coming. And so I guess the essay is in a way about whatever it is a miracle is. Fantastic. Well, that sounds that sounds exciting and and I'm thinking about all of those televangelist preachers, Jimmy Swaggart and oh, yes. Rod, Rod um, I can't think of his last name, Rod, whatever that, that would touch you on the head and people would fall down in the aisle and he would cure all Jim your, Baker. He Jim Baker, Jim and Tammy Faye. Yes. Thinking about all of those. And, and I can't wait to see um, kind of your take on that and how you explore that uh, through that essay, because I think all of us from Appalachia, even if we didn't experience that kind of a church personally, we will have a good frame of reference uh, particularly if we're familiar with small town churches to know kind of I mean, I'm uh, what, drawn to them. I'm drawn to the, some of those, the voices <laughs> I really am. Oh, absolutely. So. Very, very good. So Karen, in our final minutes here with you today on the program, if someone wants to get in contact with you to talk about uh, voice lessons or to talk about any of your other works, um, how can they get in contact with you first of all, and then where can they get copies of voice lessons? Voiceless is, is available on Amazon, and it's also available through Iris Press, which is in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. So you would look up Iris Press, Iris Books, and you can order from them. I believe it's just www.irisbooks.com. Uh, to get in touch with me, I have a, an author's website, and there's a place on that website where you can contact me. I would love to speak with you about this new collection or my uh, still fairly new novel. And the website is uh, KarenSalyerMcElmurray.com. Very good. Karen Salyer McElmurray has been our guest here on this episode of Now Appalachia. We've been talking to her about her outstanding new collection of essays. It's called Voice Lessons. And if you are from Appalachia, interested in Appalachian reading, uh, this is a terrific collection of essays with a, with a memoir bent to them, uh, connections from the present to the past, and you learn a little bit about why uh, those past women uh, in Karen's life and, and her grandfather and others had such an important impact. But also you'll, you'll find out a little bit more about the tension that exists between wanting to stay home and wanting to stay close to your Appalachian roots and sort of the desire to move on and to try new things. Karen, it's a terrific uh, collection of essays. It's, it's something that I think all of us uh, need to read at this particular time as we think about what's going on in, in the world today about home and what that means. And congratulations to, to you on the collection. And uh, as you get working on that religion essay and some other things, we'd love to have you back on the program. So thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Elliot. We want to take a few moments as we finish up on this episode of Now Appalachia to say thanks to our executive producer of the program. Her name is Pam Stack. We appreciate all the good work that she does uh, producing not only this podcast, but all the podcasts that you hear on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We appreciate Pam, and we could not do it without her, so thanks so much to her. And we also want to remind you, this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. That's going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia. Please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next. Stay tuned for more outstanding podcasts from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.